0: Impact of Influence, The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. The truth. Hello, friend. Uh, Matt Harrison, Seaton Tucker here, and so grateful that you're joining us again. This episode is an interview with Trooper Thomas Moore. They call him Tommy. Who was injured in a snowstorm in January of 2018? And his story is amazing.
1: It's very heartbreaking, and it's kind of another example of a person in need that Alec Murdoch took advantage of.
0: And Trooper Moore, coincidentally, is also involved in this story because of the Stephen Smith case and his involvement.
1: Yes, Trooper Moore was one of the first responders to the accident after Stephen was found in the road in 2015.
0: He has some very strong opinions on that case. but well, We want to start with thanking Trooper Moore for being here. Thank you, Trooper Moore, and for joining the podcast. A
2: pleasure being here.
0: Let's start with how you first became interested in being a state trooper.
2: Well, as a kid, I always wanted to work in law, be a police officer. As um, corny as it may sound, I grew up watching Andy Griffith and stuff like that. But
0: um, <laughs> well, I hope you have more makes- than one bullet in your Barney Fife gun.
1: My, my husband's the, favorite. So. No,
2: not, not the Barney Fife part. But, uh, <laughs> I grew up watching Chips and all that other stuff. But, there you um, go. I, I actually didn't know what part of law enforcement I wanted to work in, but I was fortunate enough to do a ride-along with a, a trooper that's now a friend of mine, and I was able to see what they do on a daily basis. Um Doing some research, it was an organization that was not easy to get in. And, well, I guess because it was hard to get get on, it was a hard job to get. You had to, you had to meet certain qualifications. I wanted to work for what I considered the best law enforcement agency that state had. So that's why I applied to be a trooper. Uh, where did you grow up? What town? I grew up in Barnwell, which is where I am now. I have uh, moved a little bit over the years as a kid because my dad worked construction, but the majority of my life has been here in Barnwell.
1: So lifelong resident of South Carolina?
2: Yes, ma'am.
0: So to give people an idea of where Barnwell is, how far is Barnwell from Moselle where the murders occurred?
2: Uh, that's, that's probably, you know, depending on where you're at, in 45 minutes, uh, maybe an hour at sure. the most.
1: So how long were you a state trooper?
2: Uh, twenty five
0: years. Wow. So let's talk about weather. What goes through the troopers' mind when they see snow is arriving in South Carolina?
2: When you're at home watching the weather as a trooper, you never want to see snow. Uh as much as people like snow during the holidays, you never want to see snow or ice or 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 you know bad bad rain because you know there's gonna be a lot of wrecks. So while well, now I enjoy all that stuff, uh, I couldn't stand it as a trooper. Well,
1: if I'm remembering correctly, that was a pretty epic snowstorm for the Lowcountry. Let's go back and tell us a little bit about what happened that day.
2: Uh, well, we knew a couple of days out that we were going to get some weather. We didn't know exactly how bad it would be. I think, I guess it was the day before it started snowing or sleeting. So I knew the next morning when it was going to be colder, it was going to start sticking um it was going to create issues um coming to work that day the roads were not in very good condition when i got to my office in orangeburg we discussed what was going on with the weather and um it wasn't long after that we started getting bombarded with collisions with running off the road running into people uh, just various various kind of accidents because we were so bombarded, and because our troop or, or where I, the area I work, so shorthanded, myself and other lieutenants uh, decided to get out and and assist with, with collisions, which is what we should have done. And um, the, the one they gave me uh, was on Highway 70 um, near Shillingsbridge Road. That was the closest one to me, so that's the one I took was a, a one-vehicle accident overturned with unknown injuries. Uh, the road was bad, so I had to be careful going there. When I arrived on scene, there was a vehicle overturned with a gentleman outside the vehicle. Uh, I checked on him, and he was not injured, and he um, just said he lost control of his vehicle, which was obviously clearly what happened, and um, so as I gathered his information, um back to my car to fill out an accident report, and, um, you know, at, at some point during that process of me filling out that report, um, I briefly caught a glimpse of something white in my rearview mirror, and then I got struck. Again, of course, everything in the car went flying everywhere. The car actually drove up under mine um, and slammed me back down. But it broke my seat and basically knocked me backwards, Uh, not flat, but basically as far back as that seat would go because it broke. It was laying against the back seat.
1: Did you immediately know that you had suffered an injury?
2: Yeah, I wasn't sure what that injury was. I knew it was too my spine, um, only because I had an immense amount of pain in my back and neck and I guess to best describe it, it was more like an electric pulse going down my arms and legs and burning burning sensation. And I didn't want to, you know, the first thought was, get out and check on other people. But then I said, like, no, you need to stay where you're at. You may have an injury. You don't need to be moving. So um, I was able to reach my microphone, and I called our dispatcher and told him I had been involved in a collision and I needed medical assistance and um, kind of went from
0: there. Did anyone else involved in the accident need medical attention?
2: No, actually, there were Five people in that car, and then, and, and luckily for them, uh, it destroyed the car. But which is, I guess, that's what cars are supposed to do. But um, none of them were injured, actually, which was good for them. But yeah. <laughs> what good for me? So,
1: how were you able to get to the hospital?
2: Well, originally the uh, fire and rescue—I'm not sure which local branch—came out, and I explained what was going on. Um, and they put me in a C-collar and told me not to uh, to move. They called for an ambulance and, uh, you know, I-, I can't remember exactly how much time went by, but after an, over an hour and a half, they were so inundated with calls. They said they didn't know how long it was going to be Whoa. before they
0: could get. Okay, so you're in a lot of pain yeah, and they obviously. transport you
2: to Orangeburg. I didn't want to go to Orangeburg. Uh, Orangeburg is not a is not a hospital where you go for trauma. Okay, um, I wanted to go to Augusta or Columbia or Charleston, but I wasn't really given an option.
0: What did they do for you at Orangeburg Regional Orangeburg. Medical Center?
2: Well, initially they did uh, some X-rays and a CT. Uh, said that they saw a fracture in my back. Um, that i needed to get my neck looked at by a specialist to uh keep c collar on by that time somebody had notified the workman's compensation well my wife came to pick me up after i was treated they told me to follow up with a with a specialist uh, as i was leaving i got a phone call from workman's compensation and um basically asked me what happened, and I told them and expressed to them that uh, I felt like I needed to see uh, uh, some kind of spine specialist, and they told me I couldn't go to the doctor until they reviewed my case, what? and they would me where me where I could go to the doctor. If I went to the doctor anywhere without their authorization, that would negate my workman's comp claim, so I, I knew right away, that it wasn't going to be uh, a pleasant a pleasant uh, experience.
1: Well, it seems very frustrating that you're not able to direct your own care with this workers' comp system.
2: It is, and, it, and I guess maybe it's always been this way. I don't know. I've, I've been lucky enough where I've only had minor injuries over the years, and they were never really contested. And uh, with, with this one, you're basically... I can't speak for other state agencies, but for the Highway Patrol, as a trooper, you have no assistance or support from the Highway Patrol or anybody within that structure that assists you dealing with workman's comp. They basically, for lack of a better word, back away and get uninvolved and leave you at the mercy of workman's comp. And you have to fend for yourself which is very unfortunate. I I didn't realize at the time that the state, you know, I knew we were self-insured, but I didn't realize there was no insurance on our cars. And so I'm driving a state vehicle that's self-insured. It doesn't really have insurance like a normal car does. And I get hit by somebody with minimum coverage. And I've got, in my opinion, um, just by the way I felt it was significant injury. And I I knew things were going to be an issue.
1: Last time we talked, you mentioned that, This workers' comp claim is actually still ongoing.
2: Yes, ma'am, it is. Since 2018. Yeah. um, If my math's right, if this goes till January, that'll be about five years spending.
0: (laughs) Okay. So let's break this down real quick. You have the accident, you go to the Orangeburg Medical Center, you don't even spend the night, your wife comes get you, and you're driving home and you get a call.
2: Right. I was told that. I would be assigned a caseworker, and um, they would make my doctor's appointments, and they would call me and let me know where I could go to the doctor. It took a while to even get an appointment.
0: You say a while to get the appointment. Was it days, weeks? All in here, but it's weeks. It, it could have weeks. been even closer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, You're in pain, right? You're in pain, I Obviously,
2: see. yeah.
1: What was your reaction to the options for treatment that Workers' Comp gave you?
2: When I was initially called and told, look, you can go to Doctor's Care in Orangeburg, or you can go to Lafitte and Warren in Allendale for treatment, neither of which specializes in mm-hmm. orthopedics or spines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I expressed that to Workers' Comp and they told me those were my two options to pick one. So because Allendale was closer, I chose Allendale. And, um, of course, I saw a doctor there um, who examined me that I went to numerous times. And basically all he was able to do, really no fault of his own, doing what he was able to, was basically just give me pain medication Jeez. to help with the pain. Um, really couldn't do anything other than that. So. That's basically what went on for months. We uh, at least at least a couple months And <laughs> I, I, I went and saw him every couple weeks.
1: Were you able to work during this time period?
2: I was out of work. There was there was no way I I could have worked. Um, it wasn't just the um, the numbness and the tingling. It was also the weakness. Um, I was having a lot of weakness in my extremities. I, I mean, I was concerned. It was going to continue to get worse. So my job knew I wasn't coming back to work in in the at least in the short short term that I was going to have to receive treatment and be cleared by a doctor. Could so, you walk
0: without assistance, or did you have to kind of help yourself along? You're shuffling along.
2: I mean, I could walk without assistance. It's kind of hard to explain. I guess if you or to injure your—I'll just use an example because I've done it so many times. I've blown out knees, and while uh, you can still walk on a blown-out knee, it's not—it's not comfortable. Right. So yeah. okay, like that not it wasn't comfortable to walk around. It wasn't uh, comfortable to do anything except sit still. Oh man, that's terrible.
0: Influencer—it's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance. Who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life? Her name,
2: Elizabeth Taylor.
0: I'm Katy Perry.
2: This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the
0: First.
1: Elizabeth the First, the podcast. Wherever you listen.
0: How did and when did Alec Murdoch get involved?
2: I don't remember at what point in this this. It occurred, but while I was going to Lafitte and Warren and I was calling workman's comp every day and and nobody was calling me back. And I I knew then that I was going to need help from somebody because I wasn't getting it from the highway patrol. And um, so I decided to seek out legal assistance. I was told at the time that Mr. Murdoch was a, a good attorney. So I reached out to his office, and um, we talked, and I also talked with, uh, with the Workmans Comp attorney there, uh, Mr. Ball. That that's how they got involved. So I didn't know what to do. I was sitting home in pain. Workmans Comp wasn't doing anything for me, and I was having. It held over my head. If you go to the doctor anywhere else, we're going to negate your claim. So I felt like I needed somebody's help because when I reached out to the patrol, they said, I'm sorry, but we can't get involved. And that really pissed me off, for lack of a better word.
0: No, I agree. But, yeah. I can see why. It makes me mad hearing it.
1: Did any of the doctors recommend that you see a specialist?
2: Uh, not initially. Um the doctor I was seeing in Allendale requested that I see a specialist. He made that request to workman's comp and it was basically ignored. Oh wow. As I recall the last time I went to the doctor in Allendale, he was so fed up with not having his calls returned that I kind of chuckled and said, Well, I guess you know how I feel now. But uh so at that point he said, "Look, I'm just gonna send you somewhere. I'm not gonna make you sit here in pain." He named off several places, and and I, I picked Doctor Niven's office in Bluffton. Um, and so I talked to my attorneys about it, and I think initially they they reached out to Workman's Comp without getting uh any kind of answer or me seeing a specialist. So I, I basically was told to just you know. Go ahead if the doctor referred me to go. So that's what I did.
0: So, how much insurance coverage did you have?
2: I did have $100,000 coverage per person for underinsured claims. So, uh, Mr. Murdoch made a claim for that. I don't know exactly how long it took for that money to come, but initially that money came to me. And um, I was told that. By him, that I had to sign that check over to him and it had to be put into the law firm's account. What so was, how much was that
0: check for that came to you? $100,000. And he said you signed it over to the law firm. Yeah. Okay. You know, and
2: uh, obviously, me not being a lawyer, um, what he said made sense. And at the time, I obviously trusted him. As it turns out now, I could have I could have I could have put that money somewhere else uh and never touched it and let it draw interest for five, four or five years, whatever. Um, put it in some kind of investment or something, uh, so it would have been more than a hundred thousand. Um, right. but unfortunately I, I listened to what I was told to do when I got the check. I signed it over to uh, to him and um That's the last I saw that money, and the money really wasn't even, uh, wasn't really something that came up because they paid it out, and it was supposedly put away and in safe keeping, so I wasn't really concerned about the money. Um, My concern was my injury and my workman's comp case. I really didn't give a lot of thought to that money. So you get the check. It's made out to you.
0: Alec gives you a reason why it needs to be signed over to him. Is that right?
2: My understanding after being grilled by SLED was that he signed several papers, forging my name, moving that, giving him authorization to, to I guess, do what he wanted with that money.
0: Okay. So uh-huh. he you not only signed it over to him, but once you signed it over to him, then the forgery started- where he started signing things that said, "Well, Tommy signed here that said I was allowed to put it here, or Tommy signed this so I could put it there, but those weren't your signatures
2: right. I mean I, okay. I that didn't know sense. any of that occurred that was that that came on later on down the road, and right. I was initially called by uh, Mr. Ball before all this broke, and he said, Listen, you are one of the people he has stole money from." But we we're going to put that money back, which they did. And so I wasn't really worried about the money. I could honestly, at that point, I was like, OK, well, that's kind of that's kind of shitty of of him to do. But being told that the money was put back, um, I, I wasn't worried about the money, honestly. It's crazy that may sound. I, the money was the least of my concerns. My concern was my health. Yeah, I um, get it. By, by the time all that had come up, I had already had surgery, and was still in horrible pain, and I didn't know what was going to happen as far as my health or me being able to continue to work. So I wasn't really worried about the money at the time. That was that was really not my concern. My concern was my workers' comp sure. case, which unfortunately continues to drag on.
1: Well, when did Mr. Ball notify you about this missing money?
2: I don't remember the date. It was it was the day I think it was the day before all of this news broke that Murdoch was being asked to leave his law firm and whatever news was at that time that broke that uh, that he had embezzled money. Um, I got a phone call at some point from the attorney general's office being a victim. I requested that my personal information be blacked out so I wouldn't have to deal with the media. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And so when those indictments were read out in court, my name was read out. By that afternoon, my front yard was filled with media.
1: What's it been like having this kind of attention brought on you?
2: Well, in one sense, it's... It's been really aggravating because they've shown up years after all the problems initially started. I mean, when I when 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 I had an injured neck and nobody would pay to have my neck surgery and and I was sitting at home in limbo wondering what I was going to do. That's not a new story anybody wanted to cover. Nobody cared about that, which I understand. I'm just the uh, average Joe schmo. Once it become an Alec Murdoch thing, then everybody was interested. Yeah. So at that point, I was pissed off because I, what I told a couple of them was, listen, none of y'all were around when I got injured and when I was dealing with Workman's comp. And, and
0: Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals you read stories you participate in dialogues so you are ready to go it's the most trusted time-tested app out there they've been the expert in language learning for 30 years buy rosetta stone now and you never have to pay a renewal fee don't put off learning that language there's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time impact of influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at RosettaStone.com backslash today.
2: Couldn't have neck surgery. Y'all didn't want to talk to you and I'm not going to talk to you now. So that's, that was kind of my feelings at the time. I, It was a lot of frustration.
1: Has there been any upside to the media
2: attention? I guess the only good part about the media is I've gotten the opportunity to talk about workman's comp and how that works. I don't know that that'll ever do any good whatsoever. It probably won't. I've tried to talk to as many troopers as I know and explain what happens and I've, I've been called by some that have been injured since, but the media has really, you know, they want to know about the the, the Murdoch part, which is fine. I don't have an issue talking about that. But my, my thing that I really want to get out is, as an employee working for the state, I'm sitting on the side of the road with my blue lights on, legally, doing my job as I'm required. I get hit by somebody who's not paying attention. And not only do I not have the opportunity to have any say-so in my healthcare, but the command staff of the Highway Patrol, and when I say command staff, I mean the director, the colonel, all those people, none of them helped me. In fact, while I was on light duty, after my surgery, I was still having nerve issues and, and things of that issue, and so... You know, the thing that, that, that really rocked my behind was I was called to the colonel's office and told, colonel told me, look, you've been out of work long enough. And if you can't come back to work within the next month or so, we're going to, we're going to fill your position. Oh geez. My initial response was, well, you can't do that. And, you know, his was, well, yes, I can. I can offer you a different position, but it'll be making a lot less money. So at that point, I had a, I decided I had to do something. So talking with my attorneys and, and talking to doctors, I had a rhizotomy, which is where they burn the nerves off. Oh. Um, in your neck where you can't feel the pain signals going to your brain, it oh, basically Lord. shuts that off. So it got rid of a lot of the pain that I was feeling. It didn't, it didn't alleviate the weakness and the numbness and things like that, but as far as overall pain, it alleviated that temporarily so that I could go back to work because I didn't want to lose my job. Sure.
1: I just don't think people know about this unless you've ever had a workers' comp claim. so I think it's great that you're bringing attention to this because I don't think that the average person who's never had an injury at work knows that this is something that goes on.
0: especially a guy who's a state trooper for thirty years I mean, Serving the public. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. terrible. Well, that,
2: that's, that's kind of the way I felt. I, I, I guess I was naive, probably like every other trooper is when they get injured. A lot of law enforcement agencies, smaller agencies, have advocates that work in their department that work alongside with workman's Comp to try to get them the care they need. Mm-hmm. The patrol doesn't have that. They don't have a position for that. Frankly, I don't want to say the highway patrol don't care because, you know, my, my local supervisors cared. They checked on me and stuff. But as far as the, the people in Columbia that run the highway patrol, they I never even got a phone call to ask how I was doing. Oh, the only geez. time I anybody was when I was taken to the colonel's office and, and threatened that I was going to lose my job. So that's what upset me was nobody called from headquarters in Columbia to see if I was okay ever. They only called for me to come up there to tell me to come back to work or I was going to lose my job. So once you are injured and become damaged goods, so to speak, you really become no use to the highway patrol. The whole story
0: is a sad indictment of the system, and it's terrible that a guy who puts all those years in as a state trooper still hasn't had resolution to this case.
1: It's heartbreaking.
0: It is heartbreaking. And then to add insult to injury, Alec Murdoch takes some money. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we want you to stick around because Trooper Moore has a lot to say about the Stephen Smith, what was ruled a hit and run case is very strong opinions. That's next.
1: Trooper Moore. Let's go back to July 8th of 2015. When Stephen Smith's body was found in the middle of a road in Hampton County, How did you become involved?
2: At that time, I was the first sergeant over that area. By that area, I mean I had what was called Post A, which was Barnwell, Bamberg, Allendale, and Hampton was considered one area. Um, We had stopped working just counties, and they started combining counties. So those were the four counties that I was the first sergeant over. So that's how I was involved. I, I was the post commander for that area, and um, I don't remember the exact date, but I was called one morning before I had awoken and told there was a hit and run, um, leaving the scene in Hampton. Of course, I, you know, jumped in the shower and got dressed as soon as I could, and I and ran code down there to it um there was a trooper there there was deputies there the coroner was there initially i talked to the first trooper and he's like i don't think this is a wreck and of course we discussed why there was no debris there was no there was a lot of things that just didn't add up uh, and by that time the coroner had approached me and told me that it was a murder and um and so I asked him, I said, can you explain to me what, what do you mean by that? And he showed me um, a uh, what he said was a bullet wound to the head. And we were told that it was not a hit and run and our services weren't needed. I called uh, my captain and told him what I was told. We asked them if they needed any help with anything. They said no. So we basically went on doing our job until we were notified a couple hours later saying it was a hit-and-run. So we went back to the scene. And by this time, I'm pretty aggravated because, you know, we were told it wasn't a hit-and-run. And And I don't ever take, you know— you can tell me it's a train wreck. I don't really care what you tell me. I'm going to look around and verify for myself what I think happened because at the end of the day, I've got to explain my actions. So that scene was thoroughly walked. We looked at the injuries. It was not consistent with it, with any kind of vehicle accident. And I won't get into the graphic details of that, but there were a lot of reasons why it did not look like. Uh, hit and run and so of course i called my captain and explained that to him and and the mate team was called and the mate team is a team that specializes in working complex accidents hit and runs uh, fatalities things of that nature They're, they're very educated and skilled in that they were called to the scene to to look at things and they also agreed it was not a hit and run however Nobody else would, um, as much as we tried to tell them why it wasn't a hit and run, nobody wanted to take possession of the case. Sled didn't want it. Sheriff's Department didn't want it. I don't remember the uh, lady's name I talked to that did the autopsy or was a lady in Charleston, I think maybe. I think uh-huh.
1: Dr. Presnell may be her name.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, basically, I, uh, The coroner told me that she had ruled it a hit-and-run, and and so I said, well, give me her number so I can talk to her because I want to know what she's seeing and I'm not seeing So I called the lady, and I asked her. I I identified who I was, and I asked her why she was, um, what led her to the conclusion this was a hit-and-run. Were there certain injuries he had? Was there something in particular and my response was, he was laying in the road. And I said, ma'am, just because he was laying in the road does not make it a hit and run. I said, what injuries does he have that indicates it's a hit and run? And it got pretty heated at that point. And she told me, trooper, it's not my job to figure out, figure out your case and do your work for you. Um, it's a hit and run. So at that point, that's what she classified it as. You know, to this day, I'll tell you what, then. I don't believe that. Our mate team was tasked with trying to solve that case because nobody else wanted to be involved. I mean, I'm, I'm sure y'all've seen where Sled has here in recent months said they're reopening the case and going to investigate it, and they're going to get the answers. Well, my response to that is, you had Sled agents on the scene. And they were the first ones to leave. They didn't want anything to do with this case. And now all of a sudden, now the media has gotten involved. They want to beat their chest and say, we're going to solve things. Well, they should have done that back when it happened. Not this far down the road. They should have took responsibility for what it was, what it clearly was. And they didn't do that. Neither did the Sheriff's Department. It was basically left in our laps. And... We were asked to solve a murder, and that's not what we do. Unfortunately, we weren't weren't able to do that. Um, So I, I feel terrible for his family because that case should have never been handled by us. It should have been handled by SLED or the Sheriff's Department from the beginning. I've heard a lot of podcasts talk about the highway patrol messing up this and that. Well, a lot of that is just plain rhetoric. It's not true. The people we had looking into that case were the most qualified to do it. They're not homicide investigators. Yeah. Because anybody that wants to criticize the highway patrol, that's fine. But get your facts right. The facts are that was never a wreck. And that was given to us to handle because SLED and the Sheriff's Department wouldn't take it. So we were trying to do what we could up with that case. It wasn't our, you know, it wasn't something that we deal with. And so the people who want to say the patrol mishandled it, that's not the case. Um, while it not have been handled the way a homicide case should have been handled, that's, that's very possible because we're not homicide investigators. Nobody would take the case. Everybody washed their hands of it and walked away and left it with the highway patrol.
1: How many hit and runs have you investigated during your career?
2: I'm just guessing here. Probably 50 to 100 I've, I've seen over my career. And that could be more than that. I'm not sure I don't I don't keep track of all that, but a hit and run is not something that that I went to and wasn't familiar with. Um, I was very familiar with how hit and run worked, the procedures we uh, went through from A to Z. And
1: this didn't look like any hit and run you'd ever seen.
2: No none whatsoever. Do you have
0: a theory as to why the other agencies did not want to take the case?
2: I think uh, laziness. Laziness is what it is. They didn't want to do the legwork and try to figure out what happened. It was laziness. So what aggravates me, frankly, at this point, I don't care. I've been interviewed twice by SLED about this case. like I, Basically, like a criminal, voluntarily, I agreed to be interviewed. Uh, and and I was basically questioned, you know, they went and pulled my phone records from back from back then and questioned, I mean, they basically questioned me about a lot of things. And, and my answer to that was, look, this was y'all's case. This wasn't ours. Why are you asking me all these things? And, you know, at one point I just told them, I'm done talking to you because, number one, I have no doubt in my mind, as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, that was not a hit and run. I can lay my head down on my pillow every night knowing that I didn't do anything wrong. Now that SLED's gotten involved, they got to point the finger at somebody and because they dragged their feet since 2015 and they can't figure out what's happened. They want to point the finger or everybody wants to point the finger at the highway patrol and that's fine. What, wait, can I, what are they accusing you of? I don't
0: understand. Cause you, you're the one saying it wasn't a hit and run. So what are they accusing? What are they
2: implying or trying to get you in trouble for well, they made the accusation that I let uh independent investigators in into the crime scene and that I that uh at the time there was a mention that one of the Murdoch sons may have had some some type of role in what occurred. I had no idea. An investigator that works at that law firm happens to be a friend of mine, he used to be a trooper. And I was accused of colluding with him to uh give him information about the case, which was the furthest from the truth. I, you know, the things that they've thrown out there are just, they're throwing everything they can and seeing what sticks to the wall. So,
0: Well, we've seen interviews done during this investigation and the Murdoch name comes up often. Who was doing those interviews?
2: That was the mate team. Mate um, team. Okay. We as local troopers, because it was considered, uh, it could have been, if, it, if there was any involvement by that young man and his son being part of that law firm, or his dad being part of that law firm, it could have been looked at as though maybe we weren't doing our jobs or we weren't being objective about the case. So it was given to the mate team and to people from out of town who didn't even know who these people were. So it would be, nothing would be misconstrued as covered up. And so when, when I, years go by and I get interviewed, you know, I do a voluntary interview thinking maybe I can help and, and people start pointing fingers, you know, that's ridiculous. So I hope they do solve the case that that family deserves some kind of closure and I don't think they're ever going to get it until it is solved. But
1: Do you think it's possible to be solved?
2: I think it's possible. With, I think it would definitely possible back when it happened. Now, I'm not so sure. I don't know what they're looking at. I know they're going by a lot of the reports and records that we did. But a lot of the people that we talked to are now not around. So I don't know what the chances are of it being solved. But... I, I, I certainly hope it is because if that was my kid I would I would be beating down the walls of every media I could find raising Cain and saying nobody's helping me because it's a travesty what occurred and um that lady deserves some closure and the rest of his family.
1: Trooper Moore, do you have any last thoughts before you go? Um
2: well, I would like, if we could talk just a little bit about uh, the workman's, workman's comp, this is that they wouldn't pay for my neck surgery, which was several hundred thousand dollars.
0: Wow.
2: And, you know, I had to sit in a room with a lady who coordinates that stuff, and she called workman's comp, and workman's comp said, we didn't send him there to be evaluated. We're not paying for his surgery. Oh, jeez. The, the doctor they sent me to said I had a sprained neck. And I needed to suck it up and go back to work. And, well, I didn't know if it was a sprained neck or not, but I knew I wasn't capable of going back to work at the time. So, anyway, that's when I that's when I reached out, went to the Spine Institute, and Dr. Johnson was like, dude, you need neck surgery now. And so, when they tried to get it approved through Workman's Comp, Workman's Comp said, no, we're not paying for that. He's clear to go back to work. Well, we didn't send him there. So luckily my health insurance stepped in and paid for that surgery, which obviously don't have to be reimbursed. But to this day, workman's comp still wants to argue whether I needed surgery or not. That just blows my mind, especially when the whole wreck was on video. I mean, it's not like I had a prior neck injury and just used this as an excuse to have, to have, to have surgery, you know, yeah. um,
1: I don't think most people uh, voluntarily sign up for neck surgery.
2: Yeah, you're right. So this this wreck has been it's been a lot of things. It hasn't just been workers' comp. It's been me being out of work, me not knowing if I was gonna have a job, having decided to retire early because I could no longer do this job. Maybe some of that could have been avoided had I gotten the proper medical treatment when I needed it immediately. Unfortunately, I went so long without getting it having neck surgery basically nine months later that there was so much nerve damage done, that's not going to get better. So, you know, as I told the judge and Mr. Murdoch Brown here, you know, I'm basically, at the time I I knew I was on borrowed time, and I didn't know how long I was going to be able to work, and, and, and I did have to leave. I wasn't capable of doing the job anymore due to my injuries. And that's what I have a hard time swallowing is I've given I've given 25 years of my life to the patrol and got up out of bed in the middle of the night, gone to different counties and work and done whatever they've asked me to do. Been a good employee. And then when I get injured and I ask for help, there's no help to be given to me. I'm thrown to the wolves to deal with work and come. So. If anything, I want people to understand this, you know, the money is not, yeah, it'd be great to have money, but this is not about the money for me. This is about how I've been treated by workman's comp and what could have been potentially averted had I got the proper medical care from the beginning, instead of being threatened by workman's comp. I don't know who regulates Workman's Comp, and I don't know who's in charge of it. But to me, they basically do whatever they want, and they don't answer to anybody. And to me, that—that that is what is the travesty of, of this whole thing. Is I'm sure I'm not the only one this has been done to. I just happened, my case has just happened to come up because Alec Myrna has been involved. Had it had I not had him as an attorney, we wouldn't be talking about this. So how many other people are out there that's going through this unfair system and been railroaded, and there's nobody doing anything about it. You can you can stomp up all day long to people about it, and nothing happens. So my question would be, who in the hell do these people answer to? Everybody has a boss. I had a boss. I'm sure y'all have bosses. Everybody answered to somebody. Who in the hell Who in the hell runs workers' compensation? Because they do whatever they want to do. They don't listen to what the judges tell them to do. They do what they want to do. Yeah. So I'll look for this case to even be solved uh, anytime soon.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thanks a lot, Trooper Moore. Well, thank you all for having me. Thanks, Appreciate Tommy. it. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I feel so badly for Trooper Moore and all he's been through. So what's coming up soon on our podcast?
1: Next week, we have Russell Lafitte's federal court trial happening in Charleston, South Carolina. So I do plan to attend a couple of days of that.
0: And we have uh, other things that are starting to come out about Cousin Eddie and about the murder timeline. We'll get to all of it next week. We're going to focus on Trooper Moore in this episode. If you want to reach out, go to Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, murdochpodcast.com. And as always, Matt Harris podcast at gmail.com. We are so grateful. Hopefully, you'll take the time to rate the episode, share it, press that little follow button, if you will. And we thank you again. We'll talk soon. Join Halataha for actionable advice from the brightest minds in the world on the Young and Profiting Podcast. Author and academic, Arthur Brooks, on what success isn't. The husband was confessing to his wife that he might as well be dead. And I'm thinking, whoa, what's wrong with this guy? I turn around to get a look, and it turns out to be one of the most famous men in the world. The world tells you that if you are profiting money, power, pleasure, fame, you're going to be happy. And that's a bogus formula. The Young and Profiting Podcast, wherever you listen.